Nya, nya, nya. Ba, mba, babue, Zimbabwe. <clears throat> the broken Bunsen burner burns so bright. South. Jamie. Southeast Asian Peninsula. Hey, hey, Jamie. Yes. I think the only line we need from you today is drivers who switch to progressive could say big. Cool. I just got to finish my warm-ups. <clears throat> foul, foul, throw in the towel. History, history. Switch to progressive today. Santa ski slalom in a salmon skin suit. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. Don't be looking at me, or you can't be looking at me, because it's not just radio. Thank you. I'm Leslie Marshall. Good afternoon. Happy Friday. I know the East Coast has had some warm weather, but it is 50 degrees, cloudy, and raining outside of my window here in Southern California. They know, you know, they say it never rains in Southern California. Well, that's a lie. It does. But it's really cold and rainy today. Wow, right? So that weather, by the way, will be coming to all of you on the East Coast, because you know weather patterns, west to east weather moves, and it usually takes two or three days, so I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but it is Friday. That's good news. And I want to thank all of you who are so good and kind enough to listen to us on radio, on stream, on podcast, and watch me because I say, don't be looking at me. Well, you can be looking at me uh, here on uh, Facebook uh, Live, uh, uh, Twitter uh, through Periscope uh, Live, YouTube Live, and soon to be uh, LinkedIn Live as well. Well, I'm Leslie Marshall. We have a great guest joining us a little bit later in the program. But right now, we're going to do a little thing we like to call, keep you all up to date here, Ripped. President Joe Biden uh, made a primetime address and noted that a year ago we were hit with a virus and that virus, when it hit, was met with silence and it spread and it was unchecked. Take a listen. I'd like to talk to you about where we are. As we mark one year since everything stopped because of this pandemic, a year ago we were hit with a virus that was met with silence and spread unchecked. Denials for days, weeks, then months. That led to more deaths, more infections, more stress, and more loneliness. Photos and videos from 2019 feel like they were taken in another era. The last vacation, the last birthday with friends, the last holiday with extended family. While it was different for everyone, we all lost something, a collective suffering, a collective sacrifice, a year filled with the loss of life and the loss of living for all of us. But in the loss, we saw how much there was to gain. Absolutely. Further in the Biden primetime address, he said the country will meet his goal of getting those 100 million vaccine shots into arms, and he's going to do it in only 60 days. Take a listen. When I came into office, you may recall, I said a goal that many of you said was a kind of 
way over the top. I said I intended to get 100 million shots in people's arms in my first 100 days in office. Tonight, I can say we're not only going to meet that goal, we're going to beat that goal. Because we've actually on track to reach this goal of 100 million shots in arms on my 60th day in office. No other country in the world has done this. None. Right. Awesome. Further uh, audio is uh, Joe Biden, President Biden, in that primetime address, announcing that all adults will be eligible to get a vaccine by May 1st. That's all of us. Take a listen. I'm announcing that I will direct all states, tribes, and territories to make all adults, people 18 and over, eligible to be vaccinated no later than May 1. Let me say that again. All adult Americans will be eligible to get a vaccine no later than May 1. That's much earlier than expected. Let me be clear. That doesn't mean everyone's going to have that shot immediately, but it means you'll be able to get in line beginning May 1. Every adult will be eligible to get their shot. And to do this, we're going to go from a million shots a day that I promised in December, before I was sworn in, to maintaining beating our current pace of 2 million shots a day, outpacing the rest of the world. Incredible. I mean, when you look at the pace, by the way, can I just point out there is some on the right, even on the left, New York Times actually uh, gave Biden a a, a bit of a hard time uh, saying that the president should have given credit to Operation Warp Speed in the prior administration, you know, Donald Trump and his administration. Look, nobody's questioning that when one of the good things that Trump did is he he got the, you know, manufacturers and some of the manufacturers uh, to, at a warp speed, come up with a vaccine. By the way, they would have done that anyway, though. I, I mean, quite frankly, because of the, you know, pandemic. But people are saying that Joe Biden didn't, you know, say thanks to the Trump administration. Let's be clear. Donald Trump still has not conceded his loss in the election to Joe Biden. Donald Trump has still not admitted Joe Biden is president, and and Donald Trump continues to perpetuate the lie and fan the flames of cray-cray with regard to this election being stolen, having widespread voter fraud, and the lawsuits continue. So seriously, if somebody had tried to cripple, he locked the doors. He locked the doors of the White House and gave the staff the day off and was not there to greet Joe Biden and his wife didn't meet with the uh, incoming, uh, you know, uh, first lady, Dr. Jill Biden. I mean, please, really, you, you know, I mean, reality is it's a new administration. It's a new day. We're moving forward. We don't look back. Did Trump ever give Obama credit for things he did? No, he blamed him every single day, even for things that had nothing to do with Obama and certainly didn't give credit for things that he continued to do similar uh, to Obama in that administration. So I think we all know, we don't need Joe Biden to point out that during Trump's administration, yes, they got the vaccine. But they also made masks political. They also didn't do a mandate. They also didn't do a lockdown. They made the virus political. They gave misinformation. And he was so worried about and concerned about being reelected and the size of his crowds at his rallies that people died as a result. So Joe Biden, in my opinion, doesn't have to give credit there. Yes, some of the vaccine distribution was in play. But let's be honest. They had the development of the vaccine, but not from Johnson & Johnson. That deal was done solely by the Biden administration. Two, they said they inherited a mess. The distribution was a mess. 
Even Republican governors in Republican red states are thanking the Biden administration. And by the way, the COVID-19 stimulus package that was passed had nothing to do with Donald Trump, had nothing to do with Republicans, and even Republicans are happy about that. And so are 13,000 people at American Airlines that won't lose their jobs. But I digress. Back to the Biden primetime address. If we all do our part in getting vaccinated, then we may be able to safety, uh, safely celebrate July 4th together in small groups. I'd be excited, right? In the summer, before the end of the year, take a listen to our President Joe Biden. I promise I will do everything in my power. I will not relent until we beat this virus. But I need you, the American people, I need you. I need every American to do their part. And that's not hyperbole. I need you. I need you to get vaccinated when it's your turn and when you can find an opportunity. And to help your family, your friends, your neighbors get vaccinated as well. Because here's the point. If we do all this, if we do our part, if we do this together, by July the 4th, there's a good chance you, your families and friends, will be able to get together in your backyard or in your neighborhood and have a cookout or a barbecue and celebrate Independence Day. That doesn't mean large events with lots of people together, but it does mean small groups will be able to get together. After this long, hard year, that will make this Independence Day something truly special, where we not only mark our independence as a nation, but we begin to mark our independence from this virus. Preach. And last in uh, Rip from the Headline, in this segment of Rip from the Headlines, uh, in the Biden primetime address, um, he said, quote, we lost faith in whether our government and our democracy can deliver on really hard things for the American people. And But as I stand here tonight, we are proving once against something I've said time and time again. It's never a good bet to bet against the American people. You know, I think I love about uh, Joe Biden He's not really making about him. If you noticed, you know, he, he, he thanked all of us as voters, right? We're going to take a break. When we come back, you're going to hear that from the Biden primetime address and our President Joe Biden. I'm Leslie Marshall. Quick break. And we're going to come back. When we come back, we will hear that. Uh, the last audio that we have today from the Biden primetime address and ripped from the headlines, other items and ripped from the headlines, and a guest coming up uh, here on the program on this uh, Friday. So uh, stay tuned. By the way, you can follow me on Twitter at Leslie Marshall, uh, LinkedIn at Leslie Marshall, Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash The Leslie Marshall Show. Some of you uh, followed me on Facebook, even though you're not my friend. No offense. <laughs> my family is like, how come I can't get in? You got like 5,000 friends. I don't have 5,000 friends. <laughs> I just have 5,000 people who think they're my friends and want to be on Facebook. Isn't that crazy? Uh, anyway, we're going to take a break. We'll be back. More with Rip from Headlines. More from the Biden primetime address and more with the great guests coming up as well, right here on The Only True Democracy and Talk with me, Leslie Marshall, and you. Don't go away. Back in a moment. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at lesliemarshallshow.com. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets. We are back on Leslie Marshall, and as promised, here is the final piece of audio from the Joe Biden primetime address. President Biden talking about 
um, not uh, betting, uh, not a good idea to ever bet against the American people. Take a listen. We've lost so much over the last year. We've lost family and friends. We've lost businesses and dreams we spent years building. We've lost time, time with each other. And our children have lost so much time with their friends, time with their schools. No graduation ceremonies this, this spring. No graduations from college, high school, moving up ceremonies. You know, and there's something else we lost. We lost faith in whether our government and our democracy can deliver on really hard things for the American people. But as I stand here tonight, we're proving once again something I've said time and time again to the probably tired of hearing me say it. I say it to foreign leaders and domestic alike. It's never, ever a good bet to bet against the American people. America is coming back. The development, manufacture, and distribution of vaccines in record time is a true miracle of science. It's one of the most extraordinary achievements any country has ever accomplished. And we also just saw the Perseverance rover land on Mars. Stunning images of our dreams that are now reality. Another example of the extraordinary American ingenuity, commitment, and belief in science and one another. And today, I signed in the law the American Rescue Plan. And yes, he did. And that's going to rescue a lot of people, at least temporarily. But some rescue and some aid is better than none, right? Let's rip another. Federal prosecutors submitted a filing this morning requesting a 60-day delay in a series of cases related to the January 6th Capitol riot, describing the massive undertaking as, quote, likely the most complex investigated ever prosecuted by the DOJ. And you know what? Yes, it is. And quite frankly, it would have been so much easier for the FBI and the DOJ had people been arrested and apprehended on January 6th. I, I mean, I still can't wrap my head around some of the images of of, of what was happening there rather than police, you know, police arresting individuals. Here's the big picture. More than 300 suspects have been charged in connection with the attack, uh, which FBI Director Christopher Wray has described as domestic terrorism, because that's what it is. Now, in addition to individual crimes like assault, trespassing, and destruction of government property, federal prosecutors are investigating uh, conspir conspiratorial activity that began before January 6th. The Justice Department expects that at least 100 more individuals will be charged according to the filing. By the numbers, a total of more than 900 search warrants have been executed in nearly every state and the District of Columbia. Documents and evidence compiled by investigators across dozens of federal and local law enforcement agencies include more than 15,000 hours of surveillance and body-worn camera footage from the day of the attack approximately 1,600 electronic devices and the results of hundreds of searches of electronic communications providers, over 210,000 tips, of which a substantial portion include video, photos, social media, and over 80,000 reports and 93,000 attachments related to interviews of suspects and witnesses. Look at that undertaking, huh? Here's the bottom line. The investigation and prosecution of the Capitol attack will likely be one of the largest in American history, both in terms of the number of defendants prosecuted and the nature and volume of the evidence. That's a direct quote from the prosecutors. Driving the news, that request for a delay comes one day after the swearing in of President Biden's new attorney, General Merrick Garland.
should be Supreme Court, right? So it should be Supreme Court justice, but uh, maybe someday. Attorney General Merrick Garland, he uh, has pledged. And I do think Merrick Garland should be the next Supreme Court if anybody leaves uh, justice in the Biden administration. He has pledged to make the Capitol riot investigation a top uh, priority. And if you look at his background, he's the guy to do it. Let's rip another. Two airline giants said that they would cancel tens of thousands, not just one, I'm sorry, I said American Airlines, but there were two, United Airlines was the other. Two airline giants said that they would cancel tens of thousands of planned layoffs because of aid earmarked for them in the $1.9 trillion stimulus measure that was passed by Congress this week and signed by the president. An early sign of job losses averted by that landmark package, Scott Kirby, who's the CEO of American, uh, excuse me, United Airlines, uh, had warned employees about about 14,000 layoffs last month. He said in a social media post that Congress's new funding for Airlines would allow the workers to receive their paychecks and health care through September. American Airlines said it planned to rescind notices it sent last month to 13,000 employees about coming layoffs. So just, just with the legislation, in less than 24 hours, 27,000 approximately, if not more, jobs just in those two industries were saved. Thank you, Democrats. Republicans didn't vote for it. They stuck their middle finger up to the American worker. Anyway, here is uh, American Airline, Doug Parker, uh, American Airline CEO, uh, and Robert Itzum, its president. He said, those are happily canceled. You can tear them up. They wrote in a note to the employees, we are grateful for the support of our government leaders and their continued acknowledgement of all you do. Now, the $1.9 trillion stimulus package Congress passed on Wednesday, two days ago, which was signed by President Biden yesterday, delivers payments for middle and lower income households, and it expands unemployment benefits for workers. But it also sets aside hundreds of billions of dollars for cities and states, for school reopenings, vaccine distribution, and testing and other healthcare funding. Right now, they're in the process of opening 20 massive vaccine uh, vaccination uh, sites uh, throughout the United States, just as a result of that, that legislation and the signature by our president. Unlike previous stimulus efforts, Biden's relief package includes far less for companies, but it does include $65 billion that is directed to a range of hurting industries. These are restaurants, Aviation, hello, United American Airlines, live entertainment, and tourism. Chip Rogers, who's president and CEO of the American Hotel and Lodging Association, called it a vital step forward that will help small businesses and protect jobs. And I got to say, sorry, but if you're in these, if you get a check or you keep your job, could you please remember this in the next election? Remember the party that did that for you. Remember, it's a D, not an R when you go to vote. But anyway, he said that the pandemic has wiped out 10 years of hotel industry growth, noting that leisure and hospitality accounted for about 39 percent of the jobs, 39 percent lost during the pandemic. He said, quote, we applaud President Joe Biden for recognizing that small businesses need more to help to get through this difficult time. And we urge Congress to act immediately. And additionally, he said, quote, this legislation will serve as a critical lifeline for hotels and other businesses that have been decimated by the pandemic. Let's rip another. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, who's now had a seventh woman accuse him of sexual uh, molestation or sexual assault or just inappropriate sexual talking or contact or touching. He has again refused to resign today. There's pressure mounting from state and congressional Democrats in the wake of the seventh harassment allegation. And, and what they're saying is, quote, I did not know uh, what has been alleged, period. That, that's what Cuomo said, stressing that New Yorkers and politicians calling for his resignation should wait for the results of the independent investigation overseen by the New York Attorney General. He said, quote, I won't speculate about people's possible motives, but I can tell you as a former Attorney General has gone through the situation many times, there are often many motivations for making an allegation. How can you come to a conclusion before the facts? I was an attorney general. A lot of people allege a lot of things for a lot of reasons. Um, 
there are people such as Representative Kathleen Rice, Senator Chuck Schumer, Congresswoman AOC, uh, Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, and New York Assembly, Assembly, New York State Assembly Speaker Carl Heasty, Bill de Blasio, the mayor of New York, the list goes on, that have said he needs to resign because that he has now become a distraction uh, and not able to govern, especially as emergency powers are stripped. I just want to say quickly, as the victim of sexual harassment, I believe these women, but he is entitled to due process. But the state of New York is entitled to somebody that can govern without distraction. So if he doesn't want to resign, he needs to step aside. He, he needs to let his second in command control things until the investigation is done. If the investigation finds he is not guilty, he can continue to be governor. But the investigation finds that he is, obviously, he can absolutely no longer hold that position. I'm Leslie Marshall. That's what's ripped from the headlines. Coming up, our guest and more with you. Don't go away. We'll take a break and back after this. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at lesliemarshallshow.com. Leslie Marshall, welcome or welcome back, and we welcome a special guest today. Our guest this uh, second half of the hour on this Friday is Dan Dicker. Dan is a self-professed liberal energy expert. He's been a registered energy futures trader and energy finance advisor for 35 years. Starting back in 2002, he appeared as an energy analyst with all the major financial news networks, including CNBC, Bloomberg US and UK, and CNN FN. His new book that we're going to be discussing today is called Turning Oil Green, A Market-Based Path to Renewables. It's available at dandicker.com on Twitter. Follow him there at Dan underscore Dicker. And that's D-A-N-D-I-C-K-E-R. Dan, thank you for joining us on this Friday. I'm glad you were able to make the time. Welcome and and, uh, good to have you with us. Thanks, Leslie. It's good to be here. Thanks. Well, first of all, why did you write this book? And, you know, not not, you know, what prompted you just prompted you, but your goal in this for people that read it, what you want them to learn. Yeah, I mean, I've been a I've been an observer as well as an analyst of the energy scene for the last 35 years, and you know, I find that in many ways, you know, this motion towards green energy, which is very much necessary, has to happen. We we it, you know, it's not something that can be put off. We have to move as quickly as we possibly can. But it's been met by problems both from the right and from the left. From from the right side, of course, there's been a lot of holding on to old-fashioned ideas of energy and and being slow to move forward in terms of what we need in terms of uh, transitioning towards green fuels. Uh, They've, in fact, shot themselves in the foot based upon how they've been investing. And uh, you can see that in the way that their stocks have acted. They've been the worst sector to be in for the last five years. They're coming back a little bit now, courtesy of the pandemic and some of the problems that caused, but it's been just a disaster if you've been invested there. Uh, and in fact, what they've done is and taken a lot of our national assets of natural gas and oil that you know should have gone to help the economy and and help people or you know in this in this country and so forth and provide jobs. And now it's you know it's it's a desert. It's it's been decimated. Jobs have been lost. You know, opportunities been lost. A ton of money's been lost. So the right has you know had some tremendous problems in the way that they've approached you know the green revolution. The left, on the other hand has also had their problems. They've tried very much to vilify uh, oil and gas and uh, turn them into the, you know, and and try to uh, exclude them from whatever uh, future of green energy we have in this country. And to me, that's entirely impossible. You'll never reach 
the goals that you want in terms of, you know, 1.5 Celsius or other Paris climate talk um, uh, targets, if you try to exclude those that have won the capital to, to make uh, energy change happen really quickly, the infrastructure, which they basically own to transport and distribute all kinds of energy, and the expertise in everything energy-related that they've developed through, you know, decades and decades of, of uh, dealing with American energy markets and, and global energy markets. So you have to engage the oil companies also, and, uh, you know, they've been more than willing to be part of that change, uh, but they've been fought at every stage by, you know, the left wing in, in terms of what they want to do. And some of that is for good reason, and there's a lot of hype surrounding uh, you know, green energy and where it's going. But to me, it's it, it's something where, you know, we have to get together at some point. We have to find a common way to get to this goal of, of a sustainable future. And by eliminating oil companies, you're not going to get there. And by, you know, playing a game like, uh, you know, climate change is not happening, you're not going to get there. So I wrote this book, basically, because I wanted to see where the center could meet, uh, sort of figure out, you know, where each side has gone wrong, where they've gone right. And try to find some places where they can actually, you know, uh, make some make some compromises and and move the ball forward. In your book, Turning Oil Green, uh, you examine as you're talking about these various roadblocks. Um, you know, you talk about it should be an easy and natural transition from oil and natural gas to solar, wind, and other sustainable energy sources. And you know, here's the thing. You know, to me, when you just look, the natural progressive progression of things, and, and most people know that science is real and climate change is real. And 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 climate change, I think, in in a sense, COVID has pushed it even further back on the back burner. But it remains, you know, you have said and many others have said the single most important challenge for our generation. And certainly, if our generation doesn't do something, that's going to be even more problematic for the next generation and generations to come going forward. So, you know, I know people cringe, and I'm sure you applauded when, you know, President Biden was like, yeah, I want to get rid of the coal companies. You know, I want to shut down the coal mines. Um, do you think that another roadblock is politics aside, because those on the right love to use it politically, but the idea that if we have a transition from oil and gas to solar, wind and other sustainable energy sources, that means we're going to lose a bunch of jobs, not realizing that if you have a transition to uh, gas, uh, excuse me, to uh, solar, wind and other sustainable energy sources, you're creating more jobs and you're creating better and safer jobs. Yeah. In fact, if you if you do some of some of this motion towards uh, towards uh solar and and uh, wind and other renewable energies you're actually protecting oil and gas jobs to a large degree because what they are in fact going to do is they're going to be more disciplined in the way that they pull oil and gas out of the ground they'll only do it at higher prices and in that way you won't get the same kind of up and down kind of problems with oil prices that you've seen for the last 10 years which has done nothing but destroy jobs and destroy oil companies in the process so what you have basically is you have you know a natural National uh, reservoir of oil and gas that you know literally has been pissed away over the course of the last ten years, where nobody has profited from it. Nobody has been able to to um, to we haven't been able to move forward in terms of a, a of a green um, uh, to green transition fuels because oil and gas have been cheap, and then that's what you, you people are reaching for because it's just easier to reach for you know natural gas that's two dollars you know an MMBTU as opposed to some solar. A uh, solution that's you know takes uh, is basically more expensive. So in many ways, if you can find a way to, in a market's way, keep oil and gas prices relatively high. I know that sounds strange, 
But if you can keep it high, what you do is you lower the volumes that oil and gas companies will pump up, protecting those jobs that are in the space while making solar and wind and other uh, renewables, hydrogen, much more uh, competitive with oil and gas, which it just hasn't been for a very long time, although it's gaining on it now. Well, you're definitely not in the majority uh, when you write that raising oil prices. I know this. I I mean, and not like you're alone completely, but, you know, you've got a small group there. Um, You know, because you do write, as you just said, that raising oil prices instead of subsidizing renewables is the best way to get the U.S. to transition. No, no, no. I'm not saying don't, don't, I'm not saying don't subsidize renewables. In fact, it's an all of the above kind of approach. So what you want to do is a lot of things. You want to reprice the market for carbon. And that's a good thing, and that hurts the energy companies. You also want to um, uh, give uh, incentives to uh, that you can count on for renewable technology and, and make that grow. But you also want to support the, the 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 oil companies, which are putting so much of their profits into renewable energies at this point, and make sure that they continue to have stuff so they can gain capital. Shareholders can have returns. Jobs in the oil space continue to be protected. You can't, you know, you, it's not you got to give on all sides. And in many ways, what's been, what we've seen is depending on who's in the White House, it's been either all one side or all the other. And in both ways, we've, we've gotten sort of uh, this terrible kind of roadblock where we can't make the, you know, the progress that we really want to. Yeah, but your voice, uh, you know, uh, with these sentiments that you write about raising oil prices, and you do feel that's part of the best way the U.S. can transition to carbon neutral energy, but also uh, the fastest. Why why do you believe that using natural gas to transition away from oil um, is the right move specifically for us, you know, we as a nation? Well, first of all, it's it's 50 percent less dirty than oil. So instantaneously, you're getting a big boost in terms of carbon footprint. That's number one. Number two, um, the history of, of energy in the world is very much like the evolution of man. I mean, you, you build on uh, more primitive technologies as you move towards what's supposedly the ultimate state of, of you and me, of modern man. I mean, if you want to look at it that way. So, uh, in fact, you don't displace the last energy source. What you do is you build on top of the old one. And, in fact, as you move towards more um more important or or more sustainable technologies, you have to build on the technologies of the past. So wood gets replaced with coal, coal slowly gets replaced with oil, oil is supposed to supposedly get replaced with natural gas, and natural gas gets supposedly replaced with wind and solar and hydrogen and, and all those other great sustainable energy things. And what you find as you look across the history of energy and you look across the percentages of each one of these and the roles that they play is that none of them ever disappear. So, you know, wood even right now is still three or 4% of the global energy portfolio. So none of these technologies disappear. They just slowly fade away. And you have to have these transitions all the time. And natural gas is one of those transitions you just cannot avoid, I don't think. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk more. I've got a few more questions for him. You might have questions, but you know, a lot of your questions can be answered by picking up Dan's book. Dan Dicker, liberal energy expert. Uh, Like I said, he has a great new book called Turning Oil Green, A Market-Based Path to Renewables. Educate yourself. Check it out. Go to dandicker.com, D-A-N-D-I-C-K-E-R.com. Purchase the book and follow him on Twitter at Dan underscore Dicker. I'm Leslie Marshall back after this. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at LeslieMarshallShow.com. 
Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets. We're back. I am uh, joined by Dan Dicker. He is a self-professed, and I would say uh, not self because I'm calling him one too, right? Liberal energy expert. Uh, We are so glad to have him with us. He's just written a great new book called Turning Oil Green, A Market-Based Path to Renewables. It's available at dandicker.com on Twitter. Follow him at Dan underscore Dicker, D-A-N-D-I-C-K-E-R. Dan, thank you for holding. uh, Welcome back. I want to get a number of questions in in this segment if I can. So let me just uh, fire away. Um, When what are the environmental implications of both wind energy and electric cars? Because obviously environmentalists are concerned, you know, no matter, you know, what side is pushing for, you know, what they feel is best for the future. Well, what's interesting is that a lot of the environmental difficulties of some of the renewable sources have not been really talked about a lot. And there are risks associated, environmental risks associated with just about any kind of um, energy source that you pull out of the ground or make, even solar energy. I mean, there are rare earth materials that go into, for example, you know, wind turbines and solar panels. And uh, right now there's a shortage of rare earth materials, particularly at the scale we want to start building this stuff. And uh, you may not know it, but, you know, the the mining for those rare earths is some of the dirtiest, you know, environmental mining that you can find on the planet. So, you know, not everything is is a is a free lunch. There's nothing that's a free lunch. So there are environmental problems, both with uh, there are less. Obviously, there are less, but there are there are carbon footprints with renewable energy sources, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, Is it true that uh, the United States is going to face an imminent shortage of electric vehicle batteries that run on lithium and nickel? Um, If so, can you talk to us about that? But also, can you talk about uh, what can be done to to solve this problem? Yeah, I kind of did talk to you just you just let in from the last one. I didn't know you were going to ask this, but this is about this rare earth metal shortage, lithium, cobalt, other uh, various difficult uh, metals that you, molybdenum and, and a ton of others that right now are, are, are uh, mined mostly out of China. So that's that becomes a political issue, right? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, there's, there's other stockpiles here in the United States, and that becomes an environmental issue, right? And so how do you solve this? Obviously, you have to make uh, choices between, you know, how much of this, how much scale you can get in terms of these this kind of mining operations. And then you look for all of the above, which is other kinds of renewable sources that are cheaper. We mentioned natural gas. We could also mention something like hydrogen, which the green side doesn't really like because it kind of leads back towards natural gas in a lot of places, although there's green hydrogen to be had. And, you know, I'm getting deep in the weeds, Leslie, but the, the point is That's that, okay. you know, if we're going to, if we're going to solve this, okay, if, if we're going to really solve this, if we're not going to just, you know, hope for what's going to be in the future, but actually do stuff that's practical. You know, we have to do, you know, basically all of the above approach to uh, to climate change and carbon and uh, energy sources. And that means we don't exclude uh, anything from, you know, the answer. The solution is going to come from everywhere. And, uh, you know, that's really where we are. So when, when we're talking about batteries, you know, that's not the only way. We have to move in that direction, but we also have to move in, in a hydrogen direction. We have to move in a natural gas direction. We have to move in a ton of directions and a ton of different technologies, maybe some that haven't even been discovered yet in order to really solve this problem. It's going to it's going to take all hands on deck and, and all of the above to make it work. 
And what about nuclear energy? I mean, should nuclear energy be a component of that transition away from oil? Yeah, I mean, again, it's 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 not my it's not my bailiwick. That's the one energy source that's, that I know little about. But I will say that I know that the public perception of nuclear is really bad, at least as bad as it is to, towards fossil fuels because of Fukushima and, and Chernobyl and and Three Mile Island here in the United States. And despite the fact that I know personally that the technology has moved so much further forward and it's so much safer, and that uh, you know nuclear waste storage has gone to a, a you know a much higher level at this point, it still has a public perception problem that's going to be difficult. But yeah, I think it has a place in the future too. Yeah. Really? In in the preface of your book, you write that the Trump administration, quote, turned back the clock on America's energy evolution. And you write that they turned back the clock by about 30 years, three decades. Why do you say that? Well, basically uh, what the Trump administration did upon entering uh, was try to make the energy environment look like it did circa 1955. So they, you know, discarded all regulatory uh, um, uh, uh, work of the EPA almost immediately. And they started to advocate again for coal, which would be a great idea if it was 1920 instead of 2020. And of course they left the Paris climate Accords, and you know, then they opened up drilling just about everywhere, and basically told the oil and gas industries, you know, go nuts, you know, wherever wherever you'd like to 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 put a well down, you know, we're good with that, and that includes you know federal lands. Uh, so uh, very much a uh, very old fashioned kind of approach towards energy that really looked to to, to push the clock back and and remove some of the 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 progress that uh, the Obama administration, frankly, Republicans administrations had made prior to Trump. In your book, Turning Oil Green, you examine the roadblocks, which you touched upon here before the commercial break, uh, to what should be an easy and natural transition from oil and gas to solar wind and other sustainable energy sources. And and in your book, you outline the missteps that were made, uh, OPEC, uh, energy companies, Wall Street, Washington, the environmental lobby. And and you said they've turned the path towards renewable energy into a, quote, circular firing squad, you know, love the imagery there, uh, where everyone from consumers to investors to our planet itself have come away without the goals they seek. Now, you touched upon this. Um, could you talk about that just a bit more? Yeah, I mean, this, this that's really the, the entirety of the book in, in many ways. It's describing how they've all kind of um, hurt themselves. Uh, well, let's talk about oil companies. They, Like I say, they've been unregulated. Uh, it's the most unregulated marketplace in the world, the U.S. oil and gas industry. And clearly that, you know, ultimately that hasn't helped them. Uh, what it's done is it's created, you know, a, a many gluts in the oil market that has driven prices down. And of course, when you drive prices down, your profitability goes bad. When your profitability goes bad, ultimately you have to, you know, lay people off, and uh, you have to either go bankrupt or combine with some other company, and uh, you know, destroy a lot of the, the capital that you've accumulated over a lot of time. So uh, my argument is that, you know, we could we could very easily argue even to the right that the uh, the kind of Wild West unregulated markets that have been um, most prevalent in oil and gas for the past uh, 50 years, and particularly the last five, uh, haven't done them any good. And in fact, they could use a little bit, I mean, you can see it right now, you can see in the Biden administration, 
as they're bringing back some discipline and regulation into the marketplace, oil prices are going up and oil stocks are going up. You know, there's a, there's a direct correlation between the discipline that's being imposed upon oil and gas companies from investors and from the government and the profitability that they're, they're, they're starting to achieve again. Uh, and so, you know, this is direct proof that what you may think is, is, is true is counterintuitive, that in fact, giving them, you know, unfettered access to whatever they want has been bad for them bad and a little more regulation, a little more market control has been good. What, what do you think President Biden should put in his infrastructure plan as far as energy subsidies? Yeah, I think this is really important. Um, and I would like to see, obviously, some sustainable energy incentives. They've already got, you know, a, a very rich carbon capture um, um, uh, incentive for oil companies to basically take carbon and re-inject it to take more oil out of the ground. It becomes very much like an oil and gas subsidy. And I don't mind that, you know, because carbon capture has to be part of the, the puzzle as we move forward, fine. But we should also have the same kind of incentives that you cannot be, that cannot be taken away if in fact a Republican wins the next election in the White House, something that people can rely upon and companies can rely upon uh, for, you know, for as long as, as forever. Uh, in terms of solar and wind uh, uh, subsidies and developments of other alternative assets, including hydrogen and, and geothermal and, uh, you know, all sorts of things. We have a, we have a very bad um, kind of uh, displacement government based upon, um, uh, you know, Solyndra and the Obama administration. And, you know, that's what most will, uh, at least the right will, will harp upon if they talk about these kinds of uh, incentives. But they just got to happen and they got to be sustainable incentives. So how can the United States successfully position itself in the world as an energy supplier as everyone transitions around us throughout the world to, to uh, renewable energy sources? Yeah, and and, the, and this country is still, you know, it's still the uh, the number one uh, exporter. It's the number one producer of oil and gas, and I don't think that changes. And uh, so there is an already a huge um, marketplace for the oil and gas. There's also going to be a huge marketplace for the sustainable. Uh, look, look at the look at the the vaccine. Okay, I mean, this country put together, you know, three good vaccines in in less than uh, twelve months. And uh, where no other country except for, you know, uh, England was able to develop one. I mean, that shows just how far ahead in terms of technology this country is. And I think it will be that way in terms of green energy. You let these players loose in the, in the marketplace in terms of wind and solar and hydrogen and everything else that's out there. They, they're going to they're gonna win. They're going to win the market. There's no doubt about it. We, we, we are out of time, but I could talk to you so much longer. Dan, thank you for being with us. I'm sure we'll have you back again. Dan Dicker, a liberal energy expert, please get his new book, Turning Oil Green, A Market-Based Path to Renewables. It's available at dandicker.com, D-A-N-D-I-C-K-E-R.com, dandicker.com. And on Twitter, his handle, follow him there, is at Dan underscore Dicker. Once again, at D-A-N, a capital D-A-N underscore capital D-I-C-K-E-R. Dan, a pleasure. Thank you for being with us. Glad you wrote this. Uh, we, you know, we certainly are going to uh, push for other people to buy the book and for educating us and saying some things that some people out there don't really have the guts to say. So thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks, Leslie, for having me. I appreciate it. 
Everybody else, have a wonderful weekend. Thank you, Marky Mark Grimaldi, our executive producer. Without him, there would be no Leslie Marshall show or perhaps even Leslie Marshall. Have a wonderful weekend. Wear your mask, social distance, stay safe, get vaccinated. Bodega, 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 alpha and omega. Siamese sailors sell celery sandwiches. Sawing about a serving platter. Hey, Jamie. Yes. Did you want to try reading that line on the script there? Oh, yeah, let's see. Uh, you could say big when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive, that one? Yes. Yeah, no, I'm just not warmed up yet. Shouldn't be long. Lay, 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 detector test. Indecent bundle your home and auto with Progressive today. The marmot mangled by mushu pork pancake. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. This year has reminded us of the importance of saving for the unexpected. And as a bank, our job is to make that a little easier for everyone. That's why at Huntington, we're so proud to introduce Money Scout. It analyzes your checking account to find money that's not being used and moves it to your savings automatically. It's that simple, so you can always be saving, even now. Learn more and enroll at Huntington.com slash Money Scout. Huntington, welcome. Money Scout is subject to eligibility, terms and conditions, and other account agreements. Member FDIC.